the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the, the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us, we will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the powers of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gate. She makes her speech. Well, it's good to be with you again, and especially if you, as you're embarking on this book of Proverbs. And I thought the introduction was excellent. Uh, you might wonder, well, uh, why did uh, the people choose wisdom uh, as a lady coming and speaking? Well, that's exactly what Proverbs does in the ninth chapter, and even in this first chapter. Uh, and of course, in the Hebrew language, uh, the word for wisdom is female. So they would immediately identify wisdom with this lady who is female, so you can understand why they did that. Now it's mentioned that it is part of the wisdom literature, but the particular form that which we have in wisdom literature of the writings is poetical, but not poetical as we understand it. Our Christian hymns and poetry usually have a relationship between sounds, like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine. So there's a play on words and sounds. But Hebrew poetry is in terms of parallelism. In other words, there are two thoughts always linked together. And they use a number of ways to present that parallelism, these two lines. For sometimes the writer uses comparative parallelism. And so when you come to read uh, Proverbs, you look for the word better. It's comparing two things. Or as and so, it's comparing two things. And then the other form is completive. In other words, there's a statement, but then there needs to be a statement following on to elaborate that, to expand it. So you're looking for the word and constantly. And that's giving you these two, these two ideas being brought together. And then the third one is antithetical, or it is contrastive. So it's something that's contrasted. There's a way that seems right on demand, but the end of it is death. So you're looking for buts. So whenever you want to see the parallelism, which is contrasting, uh, look for that little word buts. And as you approach the book in that way, it can open up for you in a, a, a tremendous 
way as we do so. Also, we remember when uh, we have these proverbs about a certain subject. It might be a simple statement, and most of them are in proverbs, but that doesn't mean that that statement is definitive or exhaustive. All it's saying is it's telling us one particular aspect of that situation. For example, it might be speaking about anger. Well, it's not saying everything that ought to be said about anger in that one proverb. So you look through the book for all the various uh, times it refers to anger and you bring them all together. And that's the same with lots of other subjects. And then finally, when you have a statement and there seems to be, and I use the word, seems to have a promise associated with it, that is not an absolute. For example, we often quote, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And that sounds quite simple. You just, Lord, we acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives. That doesn't mean to say that that comes easily or it works out easily. It's just telling us what will happen eventually. God will direct our paths. Because some people come and they they see one and there's a a particular promise or seemingly a promise associated with that proper. And I'll hold on to that promise. Well, they're not holding on to what God has said. They're holding on to their interpretation of what God has said. So you need to look when there are these promises, see how those actually work out. Now, when we come to the actual uh, book of Proverbs itself, the first thing we want to look at is the person whom the Lord used primarily to write these Proverbs. There are probably a number, but primarily we're told in the first verse, the author. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Well, how's that for a CV? to start with. For anybody who was writing a book, and here was the author, you'd immediately sit, sit up. Can you imagine if our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, wrote a book? It'd be a bestseller instantly. Here's the Queen's putting our thoughts, her wisdom, her understanding of this vast area, time which she has reigned. People would be wanting to get it. It would be a best bestseller. Well, here we have a, a book by a king. And the son of a king, and a great king. And surely that in itself ought to demand and almost have our attention to see what has this man got to say from his vast experience and of the situation in which he lived. But he's not only a king, but he's a king of Israel. Now that is not incidental. Because it was recognized that the nation of Israel was God, these were God's chosen people. And because they were God's chosen people, there were three things that God gave to them which he didn't give to any other nation. And Jeremiah tells us what they are in chapter 18. Teaching of the law by the priests, no other nation, roundabout had the law as it was given to Israel. So here he was the king of that nation that had that. Secondly, Wise men by counsel. And other nations round about had a realization that Israel seemed to have a knowledge, an understanding, a perception that many other nations didn't have. And it was demonstrated by the way in which they functioned and the way in which they lived. And then they had the words from the prophets. Here God had raised these spokesmen who, to whom he gave his words and through these to the people. Now here Solomon is brought up in that environment. That's the atmosphere which this man was brought up. It was an atmosphere where they had tremendous communications from God. He lived and breathed in that. 
But it's much more than that. And it's even on top of this. Here is a man with an astonishing gift of wisdom. He possessed wisdom, or even can we say wisdom possessed him in a way possibly that no other mortal ever has. He stands out. It's even the byword when we talk about Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. We think of wisdom, we think of Solomon. And so here we have this man, outstandingly, uh, outstandingly wise. But it's not just simply human wisdom, or even the highest form of human wisdom. As we'll see a little bit later, it is God's wisdom imparted to Solomon and through Solomon to the people. And that's the clear message. It's divine wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, verses 29 to 30. And it tells us something about Solomon's wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding. As measureless as the sand on the seashore, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of men of the east and greater from all the wisdom of Israel. He was wiser than any other man. Wiser. There's no one comparable to Solomon. And here we have that wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And tells us something about the breadth of his wisdom. And tells us about the depth of his wisdom. It was great insight. Many people have seen things on the surface. Many people have written about that. But how many people see, have insight into those things? And see them at their very hearts and their very depth. And yet, that's what the Lord gave to Solomon. He was known nationally and internationally as head and shoulders above any other mortal who had ever lived. 1 Kings, again, chapter 4 and verse 34. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by kings of the world he ha- who had heard of him. And it's an amazing thing. Oh, the kings, they heard this man. We must know something of this wisdom. We'll send our people to hear this man, Solomon. Another wonderful thing is, dear friends, we have this wisdom open before us today. We're embarking on a study of that wisdom, that quality of wisdom, that, that insight that was uniquely given uh, uh, to Solomon. And they came and they were not disappointed. You know, sometimes you hear something about somebody, you know, whatever particular gift it is. And then when you actually go and hear them for yourself, well, it wasn't up to much. It was an anticlimax. Now, Solomon was spoken about and his wisdom was spoken about. But for no one did Solomon's wisdom, when they heard it, did it become an anticlimax. In fact, it exceeded even their expectations. Sometimes when we're evaluating or we're marking a person, we have certain standards. It might be sometimes three. Below expectations, matching expectations, exceeding expectations. And, and for most people, it's exceeding expectations. That's the ultimate. But when it came to Solomon, when people came who had heard about him, he massively excelled and exceeded anything that they'd expected. Such was the wisdom wisdom that he had been given. One such person was the Queen of Sheba. And Sheba had heard about Solomon's wisdom and she didn't accept it, as it were, with a pinch of salt. 
In fact, she came with a spirit of skepticism. She said, no one could be wise like that. No one could possess understanding and insight, such as we've heard about this man. And then when she came, and after she had heard him, I can just imagine her saying, wow, wow, I've never heard anything like this. Never. In their own words, the report I heard in my own country about your achievement and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. You have exceeded the report I heard. Indeed, the half hasn't, was not told me. Half of it was not told. From skepticism to astonishment, astonished acceptance when she heard of Solomon. Isn't it amazing? We cannot start to move in that realm when we come and look at the book of Proverbs and get the grips with its truth and its divine wisdom. Now, her testimony, as it went on, was quite astonishing. Here was a heathen queen. And she says, How happy your officials who stand continually before you are and hear your wisdom. And then she went on to acknowledge this was the work of God. This is what God gave through Solomon for Israel. Can you imagine? She said, how happy. What a privilege. What an honour. Your officials have in hearing such words. In understanding such truth. In imbibing such teaching. See, what an honour has been conferred on them. What an honour for us that God has given us that wisdom in written form. We're hearing, we're looking at, we're reading, we're seeking to understand the wisdom of God as it came through Solomon. What a wonderful thing. It says the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom, the wisdom God had put in his heart. They recognized it. It wasn't merely just human wisdom. And this was simply acknowledging what the people of Israel had already come to appreciate and had to accept. 1 Kings chapter 3. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. They sensed it. This is from God. And they believed it. And what a wonderful thing we have here. In Proverbs, we step out of our world into the world of God's wisdom. We join that academy, as it were, to imbibe the teaching on God's wisdom in that book. You know, C.S. Lewis, I think most of you remember, uh, he, he came from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, just thought I'd drop that out in passing. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. But, but C.S. Lewis was a very gifted teacher, and he had tremendous insight. He said, if you're not wise, keep company with those who are. If you are not naturally wise yourself, if you haven't got that special wisdom, keep company with those who aren't those wonderful words? And it's exactly what Proverbs says. Those who want to be wise have wise friends. 
Now we have to acknowledge at times we can be so foolish and so unwise. But when we move into the book of Proverbs and we start to understand its message and seek to start to imply it, we are keeping company with wisdom, with wise words. Oh, oh, to really understand this book. It's not only to, uh, that there's the wisdom in what was said, but also the wisdom and how that subject matter was presented. That, that, that's equally important. Uh, and Solomon tells us how he approached the writing of these Proverbs and similar writings in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and, sourced and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. One shepherd. In other words, Solomon thought and thought what would be the best way, the most accurate way, the most helpful way, the most accessible way for this truth to be received, to be imbibed and applied. He gave himself to that. Uh, and this is the, the product. This is the result of, of what, what he did. What a, a wonderful approach that is. And so what we have here is like little compressed golden nuggets. That's why most of the statements are short. They're like little golden nuggets that, 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 that even the most feeble hand can hold and get, get a hold on, get a handle on it. And what a wonderful world of divine wisdom we enter when, when we, we do that. Full of these significant, short, straightforward, significant statements which have profound relevance and influence on us. In other words, it's the world of God's wisdom that, that's been imparted to us to live that out in this world, in our time, in our age, in our generation, to live that out, or the particularly part of earth in which we live. Now, there's a, there's a little spider, and it has a unique ability. It's able to live in rivers. Now, you wonder how a spider can live in a river. And, and what it does, it envelops its body in an atmosphere until it creates a little bubble. And even though the river might be even like something of a torrent, it can exist. Because it's living in two worlds. There's the river world and there's the bubble world. And because it's living in the bubble world, it then can exist and function and even flourish in this other world. And if we're like to immerse ourselves in the atmosphere, in the ethos of Proverbs, and we're living in this world which very often is antagonistic or is difficult or is trying, all of these things... And we need, as it were, to be enveloped in this truth as we seek to go forward. These words of wisdom. Now, having looked at, at the author, the person who wrote it, I want us to look a little bit at the purpose for this writing this book. And this is written in particularly large letters in verses 2 to 6. You notice it has the word for, so he's telling us purpose. 
for the gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction, prudent behavior, doing what is right, just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, etc., etc. And you see, it's already mentioned in the, the clip that we had, the word wisdom. It, it means more than sort of intellectual or academic ability or, or information. It includes those, but it's much more than that. The word really is skillful, a person who's skillful, who has the knowledge, who has the ability, who's the, the wherewithal uh, to achieve certain things. Uh, someone who has that ability, as it were, uh, to be successful, skillful in one's relationships and responsibilities. And that's most of our life, made up of our relationships with our families, our friends, people in our fellowship, our responsibilities, things we have to do. I would add one other word along with responsibilities and relationships. I'd put our reactions. Because a lot of life is reacting to what other people do. Or sometimes what other people don't do. Sometimes what some people do to us, or some people they don't do for us. And we need wisdom if we're going to be godly. If we're going to have God's wisdom to work out those situations. And so, to be able to have that skill to be equipped mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, functionally, to be successful in that. J.I. Packer puts it in these terms. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest aim together with the surest means of attaining that aim. That's wisdom. See what's the big goal here. What, what, what are we to do? The power to see it, understand it, the desire to do it, uh, and the best means. Because this is dynamic truth, wisdom. It's energizing. It's enabling. Vance Havner, uh, the down-to-earth, he's no longer with us, he's now in glory, American preacher. He said, if you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. Get on your knees with the book of Proverbs open in front of you. True wisdom is to see life from God's perspective as the Lord intends it to be. Yes, if you lack wisdom, get on our knees in front of the book of Proverbs and see that heavenly wisdom and seek to apply it to implement that insight. Notice in verse 2 the word insight, and this is important. It says, for understanding words of insight. It's to be able to discern, to be discriminating, to see the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, ability to judge and make right choices in the right way for the right reason. One of the curse of our age is superficiality. It's engendered by this quick thing, you know, fast food and fast this and easy the other. Don't ask me to think. Don't ask me to dig down deeper. And that's the reason why so often there are situations. Many people see, but how many people have insight? Remember the Lord told a man about a farmer. He was a rich farmer, but ultimately he was called the fool. But he wasn't foolish because he was rich, or he wasn't foolish because he was a good entrepreneur. But what he was foolish in, he didn't have insight into a situation. 
He said to himself, oh, you have many goods laid up for so many years. In other words, he thought things could meet the needs of his soul. He actually thought that. And he thought he had all of life before him. If he had insight, he didn't realize his life could end any day. And so many are like that. They see, but they don't see. And, and what Solomon is saying here is to get insight into these, these great truths of how to live. There was an advert in Wall Street. Information is everywhere. Insight is far too rare. In fact, we have so many platforms for information. You can almost Google anything in Google, can't you? <laughs> we've got so many ways. In fact, we've got far too much information. There's information overload. We're bombarded by information, aren't we? Sometimes I just switch it off. I can't take any more. But how much of it is insight telling us things that really matter, things that are so important? We're probably living in one of the most informed generations because we have these uh, various means available to us. But is the quality of life and the way society is run, does it indicate that people really see into the heart of things that really matter? No, Disraeli, no, it wasn't Disraeli, it was one of the other prime ministers and a young man came and asked him for advice. And the Prime Minister says, what are you doing? He said, I'm studying law. He said, that's very good. What do you want to do after you've studied law? He said, well, I want to enter practice. I want to be a good lawyer. He said, what do you want to do? I want to be a QC. He said, what do you want to do after that? He said, uh, uh, I want to become a judge. I want to sit on the high court, as it was in those days. He said, what do you want to do after that? He said, I don't know. He said, young man, you need more than a university education. It's appointed on demand once to die and after death the judgment. <laughs> All your thinking is the here and now and the physical. Proverbs don't let us think in that particular, those particular ways, in that situation. And so what he really wants us to do is to, to take us on this journey, to take us into the depths of the truths of things. And, and the word which he uses, if you notice verse 4, four verse 3, for receiving. Now, that word receiving just doesn't mean that I'm getting something. It means that I'm taking in something and it's something I carry about with me. There's a certain mobility. He said, on the move, I've got these things that can help me as I'm moving forward, as I'm seeking to navigate my way through. As I'm seeking uh, to plot out my future. These are things that, they're always with me. Um, some people think I always wear a tie. And they identify me with, uh, with a tie. In fact, one of the churches that I was in, and the, the, at the Christmas morning they always left me a, a present in the pulpit. Uh, which I had to open to the congregation. I opened up, it was a plastic tie. I thought, well, plastic tie and there was a little note we weren't sure whether you wore a tie in the bath or not but just in case they gave me a plastic one <laughs> they never they identified me with always having a tie on and, and what Solomon said I, I want to 
you to be identified with these truths that are part and parcel. They influence where you go and what you do. They influence how you react or how you don't react. I want you to have these things. And if you were to summarize the numerous aspects that are raised in the book of Proverbs, you could put them under three headings, really, and I mentioned them quite briefly. If we really imbibe this teaching, it gives order and purpose to life's journey. Look at verse 3. For the receiving and instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Isn't that living? How many people, uh, their lives are just without purpose? They're aimless. They just exist day by day. Others are just meandering. But, you know, when one imbibes this teaching, this divine wisdom, which was given through, through Solomon, it brings every day a sense of purpose. This is the kind of people God intends me to be. This is the sort of person God will enable me to be. A person who's prudent in behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. You find the same thought of purpose, the very last verse. But whoever listens to me will live in safety, will be at ease without fear of of harm. And then the second thing is, it gives direction and discernment when making decisions. Uh, Verse 2, for gaining wisdom, instruction, understanding, words of insight. Uh, Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Really have meaningful, meaningful understanding of situations and approach them meaningfully. And then the third thing, it gives fulfillment uh, in our living, living rather than futility. Verse 9, they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And in chapter 4 it says something similar. Now, Daniel wore a chain and had a garment, and so had Joseph. And it was a mark of dignity. It was a mark of people who, who made a mark in their day and their generation. And there was a sense of fulfillment. You know when you have zeros? So you have zero, 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 zero. Six notes. How much is that? Six notes, zero, isn't it? Doesn't matter how many. You can have twelve zeros. You still have got nothing. It's what goes before the zeros that makes all the difference, isn't it? One in front of six noughts is a million. One in front of nine noughts, what? A billion? And what what Solomon is saying here? This is for you to make a real life, live a real life, a fulfilling life, a fruitful life, a purposeful life that will make a mark, that will make something of you and through you, will make others. Oh, the purpose of, of, of this book. I must go on quickly because time is going. We, we have looked at the, the person, the author. We have looked uh, at the purpose of the book. Now we're going to look at the people for whom it is written. Now, if you read through Proverbs, there's something like 120 different people mentioned. If you doubt what I say, read through. You, 
mock them all. All different sorts of people. What uh, the writer of the Proverbs does, he reduces it down to three categories. All those 120 are put under three categories. And the first category is, um, is verse 4, uh, uh, the first part of the verse. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Now this has nothing to do with a person's intellectual ability uh, or, or their academic ability. It's more that people who are gullible or who are susceptible. People who are easily taken in, who will swallow anything. And, and there are many like that. Voltaire, the French skeptic with whom we took much issue, but he did say something quite profound. He, and this is what he said, uh, or wrote, common sense is not as common as you might think. Common sense is not as common as you might think. People talk about common sense, but how many people actually demonstrate it in their living? Why do you think we have so many scams? Because they realize they're gullible people. And even quite intelligent people have succumbed. Why do we have these fanciful offers? And in a small print, you suddenly find your land with a bad deal. Because they know they're gullible people about and here he looks, uh, and the writer here, Solomon, recognizes there are people. He, he says in if, verse 10, My son of sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. They say, come along with us. Uh, then he said, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill your houses with plunder and so forth, offering friendship. Why do some young people get involved in gangs? Because somehow they feel their loners are isolated. And here people come along with, oh, come with us. We'll look after you. And as Solomon says, it seems to offer liberty, liberty and actually it's a net. Why do you think the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. There is a gullibility about us. And oftentimes we're quite oblivious of it. We don't even realize it. And yet if we look back at the decisions we've made and the things we've done, and you'd have to say, oh, if only I had thought. If only I had known. If only I had stepped back and applied the truth. How often that's the case. And so he's writing for those of us who are susceptible or gullible. And then the next thing is the immature. You notice in verse 4, verse four part B, knowledge and discretion to the young. Here it is. And he wants to give them that ability to discriminate, to discern, to weigh things up. He wants to put wise, spiritual head even on young shoulders. People say, well, they're only young. Well, that's true. But that means they've got much more of life if they make a mess of it. They'll have to go through much more pain for much longer. That's why Solomon has a lot to say about the young. Why? I think he had a heart for the young. He understood what life was about and he really wanted them. He wanted them to look before they would start leaping, to think before they would speak, to think through before they would take any action, to consider before they committed themselves. 
to look at the consequences before they take a step forward. Here Solomon said, I just want to, to impart to you that ability. Because I love you. I'm concerned about you. I, I remember when I was pastor in Pelsall. And uh, it was one day and I met a young teenager. Uh, she was a girl and her face was as black as, not, not dirt, but, you know, like she was really down. Uh, and I said, called her by and asked her the trouble. Oh, she said, it's my parents. I said, oh, what have your parents done to you? She said, well, I missed the last bus. And this was before there were, you know, mobiles. And she said, I was only three quarters of an hour late. I said, only 45 minutes of anxiety, of agony, of worry, of heartache for your parents. She said, it shouldn't be like that. I said, well, whatever they should have been in the world. A number of years later, she was married and I met her. And she said to me, I understand now I have two children. We are mature and Solomon wants to deliver us from some of those things, those attitudes which bring not only heartache and hurt to ourselves, but also pain to one another. And this is why it's set out in such clear, straightforward way, so that people can be. And this is what we have to do. We have to expose our lives to the teaching, the expressions of wisdom in this book. And then begin to evaluate how we function and how we work. The third group is this. These are the informed. You notice? Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance and so forth. And uh, Proverbs probably has people in mind who might even thought to himself. It's so easy to think, well, we understand. We know it all, don't we? we? We have the experience. But wisdom is a life Long learning experience. It's, it's wisdom. There'll always be new pitfalls in life. There'll be new problems uh, that we have to overcome. There'll be fresh challenges. Reminded of the words of Jerome, and he translated the Bible into Latin. A great scholar, in many ways self-taught. And this is what he said to some friends. It was called his play, Beg now for me, who am grey-headed, of the Lord that I might have wisdom of which it is written. Love her and she will keep you. And then he says, none are too old, too wise, too too experienced, not to need more of God's wisdom. None. He says, plead for it. Beg God that that." I will always. The wise person grows in knowledge. Remember when I first went to Bulgaria and there were 50 students. And I noticed there was one or two elderly people. I'll tell you how elderly they were. They were older than me. But this is going back 20 years. And, uh, and over the years, very often, one of these men kept coming. Even would finish that group of students that kept coming back. And then I found out he had got two PhDs. And I felt embarrassed. He had actually revised the entire Bulgarian Bible. I thought, what's he doing here? He's making me feel on the ease. Here I am speaking to this, uh, this intellectual giant. And so, I, 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 his name was Fristo. I said, Fristo, 
I don't feel I should be standing up here lecturing when you're sitting amongst the students. He says two things. One, you're never too old to learn. And secondly, I want other people to understand it's necessary to learn. This this is his view. And, And here Solomon is saying to these older people. So we have these three great purposes here set out for us to inform uh, inform even the wise. And lastly, what is the principle? What's the big picture? What, what's the, the fundamental truth that Proverbs is teaching? And you find that in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. Here's the kernel. Now, when it says the beginning of wisdom, don't get the impression is if we learn, as it were, to fear the Lord, that's done with. We set that aside. It's not not like that. It's rather like the fear of the Lord is the foundation or the framework of wisdom. Everything else is built upon and is integrated into this thought of this fear of the Lord, this reverence for the Lord. If we don't sense that, we don't start with that, if we don't really stay with that, the message of Proverbs doesn't really meet, meet us as it should have met us. It's, I think, mentions 18 times in the book. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Chapter 1, go right to the last chapter, 31, the fear of the Lord. You ought to go round... Uh, look through those those particular things. What would that look like? The fear of the Lord. Well, what it is saying is, it's having an awe, a reverence, uh, almost an indescribable sense of an overwhelmingness of God. And that's the dominant and dominating factor of our lives. This, this, is, this is the big thing that Solomon wants us to understand. And then he works that out very much in practice. But it's not just a feeling. If you look on down the chapter, verse 29, since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's a choice. It's something you actually do in terms of your life, how you think about God. Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he, he, he says these words, there's no fear of God in their eyes. What did he mean? There's no fear of God. In other words, he's saying the thought of God isn't part of their vision of life. The thought of God isn't part of their calculations when they come to do things or make decisions. God, if he's there, he's on the periphery. He's not central. He's way out there. He's almost irrelevant. For those who have the fear of the Lord, God is real. I'm going to be singing a little bit. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me. Save what thou art. That's the fear of the Lord. 
That's the fear of the Lord. I wonder when we get up in the morning, what's the thought on our minds? Did one man pray, Lord, help me to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly? That's the fear of the Lord. Whatever you do, whether it is in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. It's acknowledging Christ, who's the wisdom of God, and him. all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. And wanting to live for him and to follow him. Remember in Nehemiah, he says, Remember the Lord, great and terrible. All of these things. The fear of the Lord. We haven't time to deal with these things in detail. Just think of what God is calling us to. What he's seeking that we enter into when we come to the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of the all-wise, the only wise God. Expressed in these wonderful words. To make us wise. In terms of our living. To give purpose and meaning to our lives, to deliver us from futility, to bring about sense of purpose, and so that we will make a mark for his honour, his praise, and his glory. You know something, dear friends? When I was giving this and I started, I thought, well, this little study in Proverbs. But you know something? Proverbs has won my heart. And I just pray. It will win your heart as well. For the Lord's glory. You're good. And the good of others. Amen.